0: Hey, good morning, everybody. My name is Brad, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm glad to welcome you this morning. As Butch said, there's a lot happening around here. And uh, if this, if you're a guest today or relatively new to Copper Hills, you might uh, walk away from today saying, well, that was the best possible Sunday we could pick to come. <laughs> and uh, for others might be, yeah, we're never coming back. It could be, because what I want to tell you and spend a bit of time on today is uh, a little bit of who we are as, as a church, so it's, it all feels a little bit maybe insider, but uh, it's not meant to be. It's uh, meant to really to be uh, just a picture of who Copper Hills is as a church family. And <clears throat> excuse me. And to do that, I want to take us back to last fall where we did a series of Bible talks around the idea of who is my neighbor? And won't you be my neighbor? And uh, it really stems from something that was that Jesus said that was really provocative. And uh, I want to read it to you, and when I first read it, you're going to go, "Oh, that's not really all that provocative. But here we go. It's uh, taken from Mark chapter 12, and uh, it's in response to a question that a seminary prof poses to Jesus, wanting to know which is the most, in Jesus' view, is the most important commandment of all. To which Jesus says, in verse 29, he says, well, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, now he's quoting something from the Old Testament, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God. That must is not uh, like you better or you have to. It's like your heart is made to beat. It must beat. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind and all your strength. And like I said, it all isn't all that provocative, is it? we in fact go, yep, agree with that. In fact, that's for thousands of years. That's the way that it had been even before Jesus says this. Well, verse 31 goes on. There's a, there's a partner to this. It says the second is equally important. In fact, the language would be, you can't separate the two. They're linked together. And this is what the second one is. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So what's so provocative about that, right? Well, not much except what Jesus meant by neighbor. He had a bit of a different idea. To Jesus' contemporaries, as probably it is for us in some way, we think about neighbor as someone we like. Someone we work, ne- work with, somebody lives next door to us, somebody that we appreciate, and we think of them in good terms as a neighbor. There's some good chemistry between us, and someone we have something in common with, maybe share a worldview that's similar, similar values, we enjoy similar sports, but there's something about the neighbor that is a really positive and appealing thing to us. Uh, and Jesus kind of redefines what that is. Uh, And that may in itself maybe not be all that controversial, but it is a bit uncomfortable when Jesus describes a neighbor as someone you don't necessarily like. In fact, it may be somebody that you don't like at all. It could be somebody that has different worldview and different values than you. Maybe somebody who has a different ethnicity, different practices, different habits than you have. And now it gets a little uncomfortable. Not all that provocative, maybe, but a little Uncomfortable. It may be somebody you haven't known for a long time and what you do know of them you don't really like and you wouldn't hang out with them. You don't like their the way they do their lifestyle, their sexual orientation, you don't like their political affiliation. And Jesus would say they're your neighbor. They're every bit your neighbor, as much as the neighbor you'd really like to be with. They are. Now, it's a little uncomfortable. It's not really maybe all that provocative until you understand Jesus adds this to it. He's the only one, he's the first at least, who takes this idea and he links our love for God and our love for our neighbor. Now here's where it's provocative. He will actually link it in this way. He would say, if you love God, you will love your neighbor. In fact, buckle up, if you find yourself not loving your neighbor you got to be really careful whether you say you actually love God or not. Okay, so that's a little provocative, right? This is what he means. Can we be honest here? You're not all that lovable. <laughs> I'm not either. But the God of the whole universe says, I know. And I love them. I can't help myself. I love them. And they're they kind of do their own thing and they go their own way and... Out I, of I love, I guide them, but they don't want that. And they, they do their thing and they pay a horrible price for it and their relationships and so on. And man, it's a mess, but I love them. I love them. And I'm going to engage myself in their world and I'm going to come and live among them. And I'm going to show them what real life is like. And then I'm going to give up my life so they can have that kind of life. But lovable? Yeah, not if their behavior is the mark. Not if the stuff we have in common is, is what marks it. No. I love them. See, that's provocative, the way Jesus... In fact, if you were to ask Jesus, what's the why? He would say, that's my why. That's why I came to this world. So that people who are unlovely and don't love me would actually find me beautiful and would love me. And I could put them into a state if they would let me where they would be fully united with me and my Father. That's my why. He wants these people who are unlovable to get to know who he really is and how much he cares for them so that they would actually lean on him. He didn't come to change behavior. He didn't come to fill our minds with biblical knowledge. He didn't come to get us to attend church or pick up the pace of our praying or do a little more service projects, do a few more of those. No. No, he wants us to know how wonderful he is. How wonderful he is. And then to place... Our, ha- our lives in his incredibly good care. And he would say that when you discover that, and you discover that you can be forgiven for the mess-ups and mix-ups and mistakes and malfunctions, that you can be made new, entirely new. The very core of your motives can change, and you can experience spiritual life. You can develop the characteristics of gentleness and kindness and patience and tolerance and goodness and generosity and just a bunch of other, other admirable qualities. This is what he says. It's the good life. He talks about living in his kingdom with him. And that's the why of why he came, to give that kind of life. Let's talk a little bit about why for just a second, the idea. About ten years ago or so, a cultural anthropologist named Simon Sinek, wrote a wildly popular book called Start With Why. Some of you might have read it. It kind of swept through the business community. In fact, his talk on this subject is one of the top ten TED Talks that they've ever had. You can check it out if you want. And he introduced us to an idea that he calls the golden circle. Uh, In his Start With Why idea, he makes a case that almost all organizations know what their what is, So here's our golden circle that he talks about. It's got three components to it. One is the what. The what of organizations is this. It's what they build. They build widgets. They serve food. They provide entertainment. They dispense information. They serve, protect. It's the what. And most organizations know what their what is. Secondly, he talks about most organizations know their how. How they do their what. They build schools, they invent solutions, they train and equip, they open restaurants and coffee shops and sports franchises and so on, and then Senek argues that not nearly as many organizations know why they do their what and their how, and that is what makes the difference in the flourishing nature of the organization. A clear why keeps us focused when difficulty comes along. Or boredom takes over. And it helps us say yes to the right things and no to the things that don't matter to the whole. But only if the why is clear. And he makes a compelling argument that individuals, not only businesses, individuals need to know what their why is, or they may just get the wrong what and how. Well, here's the thing. Why do I say that? The overwhelming focus of the religious climate of Jesus' day in the first century was on what and how. The religious leaders of the day had a very clear list of what to do and what not to do. The how and the what was really clear. They had 613 laws to follow. And many of them had to do with religious ceremony and morality and those kinds of things that made you right with God. Jesus, on the other hand, has very, very few what's and how's and deals almost exclusively in the why currency. And as we discovered in our last series, which is from his Sermon on the Mount, that's the name we give it, he almost completely talks about the why, the motive, the interior life. Think different. Think different things. It's all about the why, the internal why. Does he have some what and how? Yes. But it all springs out of a clear why, and he's clear on his why. So in fact, if Simon Seneca and Jesus were to sit down and go over his golden circle, Jesus would add another circle in the middle that transcends the why. We know this because not only how Jesus did things, but possibly, probably, in my view, the greatest leader next to Jesus that's walked this earth, certainly the greatest leader in the first century church, the guy who wrote the majority of the New Testament, his name is Paul, He writes with great passion about what fills that inner circle that transcends the why. And what Paul would say, what's more important than knowing the why, you need to know the why, is you need to know who. Who. The person behind the why in Paul's experience is Jesus the Messiah. Paul tells us that our why can be actually the wrong why, because often our what and how is centered around the why of me. What I want in my life. What I want to have control of. And now I do the what and the how that's centered around me is the why. And Paul would simply go, as Jesus would concur, you have the wrong why. You've got to get the why right, but the why is based on who. Who is that? Now, you likely know about Paul. He started a number of churches in the first century. He would travel from city to city and stay there as long as he could. he experienced persecution and oftentimes had to flee for his own life and he would go to the next city and start a new church. And then it wasn't uncommon for him to write letters back to the churches that he had started to encourage them or sometimes admonish them or keep their eyes focused on who. And you just see him do that consistently. Like one of the churches that he writes to, that he starts, leaves, and then writes to, is the church in Colossae. And as he writes them, he wants to encourage them and keep them focused on their why. Why? But does he start with the why? He wants their what and how to be right. But does he start there? No. This is what he starts with. He starts with who. In Colossians 1 we read about the who. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Just get what he says here about the who. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things we can't see. This is Jesus. Such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He's the beginning, the supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God, in all his fullness... All his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. You and me too. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Another church he writes to in the city of Philippi. This is what he writes about Jesus through him. Uh, Though he was God, he did not think of of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took a humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus, every single knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, wherever that is, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The who matters. The who. Another one to a cantankerous church in Corinth, he writes, no eye has seen, by the way, not a single ear has ever heard, no mind has even imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And what had he prepared? To come into this world as Jesus the Messiah. In another place, he... uh, writes to the church in Philippi again, and he says, you know, I've thought about this, and for me to live is, well, I guess it's starting new churches throughout the first century known world. For me to live is every single person being in a life group. For me to live is having a dynamic women's ministry, a men's ministry. For me to live is to have a fantastic family life ministry. For me to live is to be like the go-to preacher, teacher in all kinds of places around the known world. For me to live is What does he actually say? For me to live is who? For me to live is Christ. He's the who. He's the everything. He tells me what my why is. And my why informs what my what and my how are. But it all starts with him. Him at the center. For me to live is Christ. That's our who. And as much as I wanted this morning to talk about some of the what and the how, how? We have to anchor it, first of all, in who. And we are about, we are for, we are an expression of Jesus, the Messiah. May we never make that mistake of moving off of that who that we have. But what is our, what's our why that the who has given us? Well, we state it this way. Our why is this, to help people increasingly think like Jesus so that we are increasingly mistaken for him. If the who is really rich in us, and he really is in charge, and he saturates our minds and informs our thinking to think like him, guess what? We'll be attractive like he was attractive. Kind and gracious and good and miracle-working and joy-giving and peace-producing and forgiving like he was. It's a beautiful, attractive kind of model of who he is. And we'll get our, our why right. Simply say, we would say it this way. We would want to, through Jesus... Think increasingly like him, so that we'd be mistaken by him for him in this way that we would live around people who don't think about Jesus very much, or when they do, they don't think well of him. But as they live around us and we live around them, that they would think Jesus is pretty cool, they would think he's pretty smart, he's got a great sense of humor, and he's intelligent, and he actually holds the keys to life. And they would actually start to think well of Jesus. Because they hang around us and Jesus wants to love and reach them. We would think of our why this way. We want to help people who do think about Jesus. They're exploring, that they would come to understand what he has done for them and who he is, and they would ultimately say yes to him and experience the freedom of forgiveness and joy and peace in their own souls. And then they would walk deeply into his kingdom with him as his apprentice, as his student. They would learn from him, not just learn the Bible, not just learn how to pray, not just go to church. But they would actually be a student, sign up for being his student, and take a lifelong course in Jesus and have him formed in their lives. This is what we would like. That's what our why is all about. And so now I want to tell you about our what and our how. But you understand, we have to start with who and why. So here's our what and how. I want to tell you about three things this morning. All three have to do with living out an experience that a woman had with Jesus one day. It's a common story around here. It's John chapter 4 where Jesus is commuting from Jerusalem to the northern part of Israel, kind of home based in the northern part of Israel around the Sea of Galilee, probably a little town called Capernaum. And uh, on his way there, he takes an uh, unorthodox route through what would really be thought of as unfriendly territory through a Samaritan area. And he gets to uh, about the halfway point, sends his disciples off to town to get a little bit of lunch, and uh, stands at a well just outside of the city, maybe a quarter mile, third of a mile outside of the city, outside of the town. And along comes a woman, and she's coming to get water, 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 like to drink and to, for her, maybe her livestock, or to cook with, or whatever she wants the water for. And Jesus begins to engage her in a conversation. And I don't know what they talked about initially. Maybe they talked about the weather. Maybe they talked about some other like, uh, current affair kinds of things. But eventually, somehow the conversation gets to be much more personal. And Jesus begins to ask a few questions about her life and who she is. And she's a little reluctant, it appears at first, but eventually, trust somehow grows with Jesus and her, and they begin to talk about some of the most intimate details of her life, some of the places where she's really messed up in her life. And you can imagine how intimidating that must have been to do that, but Jesus, in his love and his grace, somehow opens her heart up to talk about who she really is. And lo and behold, she finds that Jesus isn't condemning. They talk about a few religious things and faith-based kinds of things. And sure enough, just at the wrong time, Jesus 12 come back with lunch. Interrupt the conversation. But by now, she's figured a few things out. And we're told in the text that she ran all the way back to town and couldn't stop talking with the townsfolk and said, you've got to come with me. You've got to come see a guy who knows everything about me and doesn't condemn me. In fact, he's given me living water. I went there for water. And I got some water. Well, actually, I left the water behind. I was so excited to come and tell you. But I've got life in me now. I've got living water. A spring of life that's inside of me. Why don't you come? And they do. And apparently, Jesus changed his travel plans. It says that he stayed there two days. And at the end of those two days, the townspeople say, you know, we heard about you through her, but now we know you ourselves. Something profound had happened in their community Because Jesus stopped a woman at a well and gave her not only water, but gave her living water. Well, that's what we want to be here as well. I want to give you an update on what we're thinking in this area. We want to be the kind of place where we create a community where people who are looking for water get water. But they actually find living water. And they find Jesus Christ in all of his glory and all of his fullness. For us, the well isn't an actual dip-your-bucket-in-a-well kind of well. Our well is this campus. And it's our homes and it's places where we gather. But one of those places is here. And our water isn't H2O. It's something else. Among other things, it's the arts and technology and doing classes and making craft coffee But all of that needs a little bit of explanation. So, I have some good news for you. We're going to try to end our gathering this morning 10 minutes early. Yay! Fantastic. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) And uh, we're going to give you an opportunity to take a tour through the new campus area. And uh, I'll tell you a little bit more. It's kind of a self-directed tour, but we think it's important that you would have a chance to see the well that we're building, the physical well that we're building. But let me tell you a little bit behind it. Here are three components this morning. There are many others that we're involved in, but I want to tell you about three because there's specific space that we're, we're working on. This tour that you're going to take, you can join in anywhere you want, but it really is meant to start in the most important space that we're building in our campus, and it's directly across the lobby over here. You'll see a sign on it that said the prayer room. We think the most important space is a space that gives us an opportunity to be on our knees individually in small groups of people, to pray, to have communion and communication with the God of the universe and Jesus who is the center of the church. There are going to be wonderful prayers that are prayed in that room. Prayers for healing and wholeness and health and physical strength and provision and providence from God. But there are going to be prayers for people's souls and their salvation and their peace and their marriage and the things that are just real places where people live. And that's going to happen in that room. And that is the beacon, that's the center of what we do here is that humble posture before our good God on our knees before him so that the who of all the universe would permeate across the hearts and lives of every person who steps on this campus. There are three specific areas outside of that, but that's the center point that I want to tell you about. One is the Center for the Arts, the other is the coffee shop, and then I want to tell you something we're going to do this fall that's kind of new for us. So Center of the Arts, first of all, 10 years ago when we began to think about what we could build that our community would see as their well... You know, like the woman showed up at the community well because that's just what the community did. It was a place of life and conversation and political debate and religious conversation and laughter and uh, it was where families would gather for social times. It was kind of the center of the community. And we get, began to think, well, what could we do? We began to talk to some civic leaders and ask them, what could we build that would be a building or, or a facility for the community that they would see it? We'll pay for it. We'll pay for the operation. We'll maintain it. We'll do all that stuff. We'll be kind of the primary tenant, but it's for the community. What could we build? And we thought about an academic facility and an athletic facility, but our civic leaders kind of all in one unified voice said, no, build something that the artistic interests of kids and students and adults can be satisfied, and you can use that. And they'll think of of this place as their center for the arts. And so we began to plan and to think about that And then last fall, we began to do some art classes, even before the building was finished and these areas were available to us. And we started with a list of offerings that included uh, violin and viola and piano, voice kind of group, like glee club kind of thing, guitar. And we had 24 students signed up. It was a wonderful start. Since then, we've added classes in writing and sewing and watercolor painting, robotics, And we've doubled the number of students that we've had this last semester. And then this summer, we're going to add some dance camps, animation, drawing, sign language, and more things are planned all around this theme of the arts. These are designed for our community in mind, for our community. And we're all welcome to participate as well. Do you get what I'm saying? They're not primarily for us. But we're welcome to join in on those things and participate. In fact, it's good if we do that we bring our friends and neighbors, people we work next door, go to school with, we're on the same team together, that they would come here and be part of this creative process. Why? So that they would rub shoulders with people who are increasingly thinking like Jesus and they're mistaken for him and they in turn would be thinking more like Jesus and then they would grow to a place where they would be mistaken for him. And that's the whole idea behind it. This last semester, we had someone from our community take a creative writing class. She was a little bit nervous to come and be part of this because she thought, since it was held at a church, that it was for church people who go to this church, and she didn't go to this church. In fact, she was nervous for another reason. She didn't have a good impression of church people or Christians because the only one that she knew was an aunt who was overbearing and lived her faith in a really unattractive way to her. So at the end of the four-week class, uh, she told a bit of her story and the apprehension she had in coming. But she was really impressed with how attractive some of her fellow classmates were and how they naturally and transparently and honestly seemed to live their faith. And so she asked at the end of the class whether all Christians at Copper Hills were like this. Because she was a little skeptical. But you see, she had run into some honest, Jesus-loving apprentices. And they were attractive to her. And she began to think not badly about Jesus. She began to think differently about him. That story is still being written. We don't know what God will do in her life. A neighbor of mine who does not attend Copper Hills was told by another neighbor of mine who doesn't attend Copper Hills that the robotics class that he really wanted to do for students, middle school and high school students in our community, would be perfectly housed at Copper Hills Church because they do that kind of thing, you know. So he called me. And said, I never really thought about this, but my neighbor who doesn't go to Copper Hills, and I don't go to Copper Hills, told me that Copper Hills would be a great place to do this, because you do this for neighbors in the community. I said, yeah, we do. So I gave him a tour of the place, and we set aside a room for him to do this robotics class. And he said, this is a Christian church, right? Yep, it is. He said, "Uh, why would you do this? I said, well, because we do this for the community. He said, you understand I was born and raised in the Hindu faith, right? And I'm like, yeah, I know that. He said, "Well, where I come from, the Christian faith and the Hindu faith—they don't work well together. And there's skepticism and doubt, and kind of—you know—they they don't trust one another very well. Why would you do this?" I said, "Oh, you haven't met our leader yet, <laughs> because he's good and he's gracious." And he is so embracing and he's loving of all humankind. And we want to be like that in our community too. So you come on, you do your robotics class. And would it be okay if we had some of our high school students and middle school students join you? Because we have some of our high school students and junior high students who love Jesus passionately and they're being formed into his likeness and they're being mistaken by their fellow students for Jesus as well. Wouldn't it be cool if they joined that robotics class out of an interest in robotics? but their presence in the class, even if the teacher doesn't know Jesus, their presence in that class would be a light for the who of all humanity. His name is Jesus. There are so many other stories I could tell you about our Center for the Arts. Uh, In our watercolor class just held recently, a a 20-something aged woman who has an aunt that she dearly loves uh, wanted to do something for her aunt. You see, her aunt has Alzheimer's and is showing some of the effects of that. And her doctor had suggested that maybe she got involved in something creative with her mind and her hands It would be good to offset some of the symptoms of Alzheimer's. And so her niece, who loves her aunt so much, just lives in the community, doesn't come to Copper Hills, saw that we were doing a watercolor class and she said, i want to bring my aunt to that because I want her to experience, like, the creativity and deal with... And in the meantime, she has a real shot at meeting people who know and love Jesus once again. And that story is just really early on. It's just being written right now. Kathy Beachy uh, is our director for the Center of the Arts and also one of our piano instructors. Um, Recently, she noticed one of her students had come for her lesson, and she was a little sad and distracted. And Kathy, who is such a sensitive spirit, asked about how she was, and after hearing a bit of her story and found out a little bit of what it was, took a moment to pray with that young girl. And just the difference of invoking Jesus' presence for that little girl in prayer made a difference. She had a new, new outlook. The problem hadn't changed, but a new outlook. Like, like the, the opportunities of what happens in those settings when kids and adults come from our community who don't think about Jesus or don't think well of him are in the presence of people who love Jesus. We just think it rubs off in time. We think it shows Jesus for who he is. You know, and we're just getting started. The half hasn't been told what we think Jesus is going to do through the arts. We're just convinced that children, students, and adults from the surrounding community will come to this campus looking for skilled and excellent creative instruction, and they're going to walk away at some point with living water. Living water in their souls. Well, that same well idea is the center of a craft coffee shop that we're opening. Some of you might have enjoyed some coffee already this morning. It's why that coffee shop carries the name Well Coffee Company. Because it's meant to be a well in the same fashion as Jesus met that woman at a well. So this is the second thing I want to bring you up to. This coffee shop is going to be a fully functioning retail coffee shop open throughout the whole week, open to our community as a gathering place for coffee and for social gathering purpose. And by the way, we're all welcome to use it too. (laughs) You get what I'm saying again. It's not built for us. We'll use it for sure. But it's made for our community that we could serve them in this kind of way. We've said from the very beginning that we don't really want to be in the coffee business, but we're absolutely committed to being in the well business, in the social space business, if you will. And as such, our culture and community gathers around coffee. So let's leverage that and use that as a well. The Well Coffee Company is another expression of the well that Jesus met woman at, Met the woman at. And once again, our dream is that people would come for coffee and walk away with living water, go back to their family and friends, and go, you'll never guess who I met. His name is Jesus. I told him all about my life, and he didn't condemn me. And they would run and bring their friends. Just a week or so ago, two men built a table for us. It's in the center of the lobby over here. You might have seen it. We are an incredibly talented church. We really are. C.J. Parkinson and Kerry Ferguson built that table. These are amazing craftsmen. Uh, About 10 days ago, Pastor Kevin and myself gathered around that table with them to dedicate it to the purpose of Jesus because it's going to move into the coffee shop and be kind of the iconic symbol of community in that coffee shop. We talked about the kinds of conversations that were going to happen around that table. Maybe there would be some business deals that would be culminated around that table. Maybe a young couple would talk together over a cup of coffee around that table about their future together and plan together the wonder of what married life would be together. Or maybe on the other side of it would be a last gas attempt by... A married couple who are in great difficulty, that they would find themselves around that that table and cry out to God one more time that he would somehow restore and bring forgiveness to their home and their family. Maybe it's a place where fractured friendships would be repaired and put back together again. Maybe it would be gatherings of people who would open the Bible and look at that and study it together. Possibly there would be commitments made to take a lifelong journey as an apprentice of Jesus, and maybe even some one-on-one conversations that would lead to people's destinies forever being changed and the flood of the living spirit coming to be part of their lives where they experience Jesus' forgiveness and his new hope. Who knows what God has planned for that around conversations around that table? We just know he's got great things planned around that. And many of those will involve people in our community who don't yet have living water. And they will find living water. They will. So let me add this quickly here. Creating a coffee shop like this does not happen without expertise and skill. We are so blessed. Like God foreplans these things, right? We are so blessed to have Kevin Kubala, Pastor Kevin, leads our family life ministry on our team. Prior to coming to our staff, he's 20 years of restaurant experience in our city. Didn't hire him for that purpose, but Jesus already knew and he has given himself in amazing ways to give leadership to establishing that coffee shop in healthy, financially wise, careful kinds of ways, all the while serving so well in our family life area. He's a remarkable man, and when you see him, will you bless him for how he serves this, this community of faith and our community as a whole? Grateful for him. I also want to mention Austin Blackman. Austin, till this last Wednesday, was our student pastor, and he up and quit. Well, not really. It was a planned thing. You see, he's going to be our coffee shop manager and poobah barista. (laughs) Yeah. I'm so grateful for Austin and his leadership with our students. You know, one of the cool things is when a young person comes to faith in Jesus Christ here, and they're nurtured, and they're mentored, and then they decide they want to do an internship here, and then they do an apprenticeship, and then they become the student pastor. Okay, that's a win. That's a huge win when young people grow into that kind of role, and Austin has filled that role for us because that's his story here wonderfully, and we're so grateful. Thank you so much, Austin, for pastoring our students these last years. Now, you might say, wait just a second. Well, who's going to pastor our kids now? Like, what's going to happen with our students? Well, I'm thrilled to introduce to you a young couple who will be joining us in early June. He'll become the student pastor. His name is Russell Wilson. He's not the quarterback of the Seahawks, Okay. <laughs> He just graduated from Manhattan College in Kansas, had his birthday last weekend, and is getting married next weekend to his fiancée, Mary Frances, and I asked them to put a short video together so they could introduce themselves to you. Here's Russell and Mary Frances. Hey guys, I'm Russell, and this is my bride to be Mary Frances, and we are so excited to be coming out to Arizona and to do church with you guys. Uh, I'm looking forward to being the new student pastor on staff and to working with the team find us around June 10th heading out there. Uh, and again, we're just so excited to come do what God has called us to do ministry and to hang out in love with you guys. May's been a really fun month. We both just graduated from MCC, Russ's birthday is this week. I'll graduate from K-State and then we're going to get married, have our honeymoon and move out to Phoenix. And we're just really excited to jump in and start doing life with y'all. There's two of our favorite things I'd like to share. Mary Frances loves coffee and I love pizza. So, you can catch Mary Francis at the coffee shop that is going to be built and is in the process of being built at Copper Hills. And whenever you're not catching up with her at the coffee shop, I would love to go get Baro's Pizza with you because that's my jam. Yeah, he's the pastor. He's mooching already. That's great. That's yeah, just great. All right. So that's the Center for the Arts, and that's the Well Coffee Company. And then lastly, I want to tell you about something we want to announce for you this, uh, coming up this, this fall. This fall, we're opening another Well Opportunity. On Saturday, August the 10th, we're going to add a Saturday service at 6 p.m. that night. Uh, You know, if you've noticed, we're growing as a church family, and for us, growth isn't primarily measured in numbers, but in spiritual vitality and taking on and thinking the character of Jesus. Those are a little harder to measure. You measure those over time. But isn't it interesting how when a church makes that their focus get the who right, that there's actually... a an attractiveness to who Jesus is where you don't become like a consumer church. You become a serving church and a giving church and a growing church. And in the church as a whole begins to resemble Jesus Christ in the community. It's just wonderful the way that that happens. And I mean, we have grown. We've grown two and a half times in the last five years from you know, an average of about 300 to just over 800 now. I mean, that, that's growth not around something for me. That's something that Jesus is doing as he's drawing people closer to himself. And so what this has meant, that there are occasions where we can't seat four people together at one time, and so we want to try to create some space and some room. But you know who we're creating space for? It isn't for people who would say, oh, that's great. I get to go Saturday night now. (laughs) That's much more convenient for me. Really, you know what it is? We're trying to create space for our neighbors and our friends to come. Because when we talk to folks who don't go to church, like our neighbors, our friends, colleagues at work, you know what they tell us repeatedly? Is, you know, Sunday's different than it was 20 years ago. It's not that day off. It's not the Sabbath experience. It's when we go to, we do family stuff, and we go to the lake and whatnot. But if you had something on Saturday night, or I work shift work, I'm in, I'm a police officer, or first responders, and I work on a shift, I can only come once every four weekends. We want to make room for our friends and neighbors who don't have a walk with Jesus just yet. Now, we're all welcome to come too. You get what I'm saying? It's once again, We want to create a well where people who don't think or don't think well of Jesus or have kind of lost their way would have a place where they can find living water in Christ. And so, um, to be frank, if this isn't already frank, (laughs) our decision was not primarily driven by creating another more convenient space for those of us who already know and love Jesus. We say this often here, don't ever invite someone to church. Don't do that invite them to Jesus. And if inviting them to a church gathering would be helpful, informative, and something Jesus would use in their lives, then do that. But firstly, invite them to Jesus because he's the who that makes it all happen. So uh, this morning, we want to give you a chance to participate in that. Uh, Here's the thing. We can't add a service like this without adding some folks who would say, you know, I want to participate in uh, Jesus Project here through Copper Hills. I want to volunteer in some ways. We estimate that it'll take about 100 new people to serve in different places to make Saturday night and then Sunday work well. I'm going to invite our hosts to come. They're going to hand out a sheet just like that. Butch, bring the band if you would. A sheet just like this tells you a little bit of Saturday, a few, very few details. We'll tell you more as the weeks go by. Uh, the Center for the Arts and the Well Coffee Company. And at the bottom of the sheet is an opportunity for you to say, hey, I want to participate. I want to serve in some capacity. On the one side, you'll see some black numbers and white dots. That's approximately the number of people we need in each one of those six areas. So you might already say today, hey, I'm in. Starting in August, I'm in on this. We'll train you. We'll get the schedule right. But you might also be saying, I'm not in yet. I want some information. I want to know what I'm signing up for. I want to know whether you're going to train me. And is this every Saturday or every Sunday? How do you do that? We want to help you with all that. So you might be ready to say, I'm in. You can indicate that on there. But you might say, I want more information. We will get back to you. If you fill out this information here, we're going to get back to you. So I invite you to take the card. Uh, tear off the bottom, please. Go ahead and hand them out, please. And uh, uh, tear them off. Our host will be at the back. And uh, they'll take those from you as you leave the auditorium this morning. Also, we have some of our volunteer central folks who help with helping people find their place of tailored ministry and service. They're in the plaza area. You can take those to them too if you prefer that. Um, but we really encourage you to participate. We love to hear that sound, it's really a cool sound. One of our core values here is we want to help people move from uh, attending to belonging, but also from observing to serving. There's something unique happens when we sign up for Jesus and his cause. And so Butch is going to lead us through a song. Fill those out, and uh, then we'll give you a few instructions on our self-guided tour.